Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. Please be joined now by our friend Paul Henderson, legal expert, uh, public intellectual, former prosecutor, director of the award-winning San Francisco Department of Police Accountability. Paul, good to have you back. How are you today, sir? Oh, I'm excited to be here. I'm, there's so much to talk about, and you know I've always got a song in my heart. I'm ready to sing. <laughs> well, let's sing. Uh, I feel like part of the interruption, I don't know if, you, if you're a sports fan, but those who are sports fans uh, who know Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon's program, PTI, they have a rundown on the board, and they spend every two or three minutes talking about a different subject. It's one of those half hours today. A lot to talk about, so let's run down the board. Let me start with this uh, breaking news today. Um, the UAW uh, has come to a tentative agreement with General Motors, so now all three of them have gotten in line. The first to get in line was Ford, the second was Stellantis, and the third and final uh, player uh, to, to get the act together is General Motors. This is a big deal. I, I, I feel like the UAW under Sean Fain's leadership has been so successful in this regard, and it's really set a new standard, a higher standard for laborers, uh, for everyday people, as Sly Stone might say, in this country. This is a huge deal. Quite successful was this campaign, uh, these strikes led by the UAW. Uh, Paul, your thoughts? You know, I think what was really smart was splitting it up so that he could go one after the other. GM really did not have a choice. As long as the other two uh, manufacturers were in line, it was just a matter of when the deal would come together and how much more he got from GM mm -hmm. as compared to the others. I really can't wait to see the deal, to unpack it, to see if GM workers are going to be rewarded for the strategy of doing it this way and for GM choosing to go last or holding out as long as they did for whatever the deal is. Yep. I can't wait to see the paperwork. You know, it's always in the details. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, as this audience knows, I started out calling this a summer of strikes. The summer ended, the fall arrived, and I changed my phraseology to a season of strikes. And I must yeah. tell you, <clears throat> as I'm sitting here right now, just thinking about all the strikes we've covered over the last six months on this program, from Kaiser Permanente to the what, what, what was about to be a UPS strike, to uh, to the to, to the unions, uh, I mean UAW that is uh, a lot of successful uh, strikes uh, over the last six months, and so I think it's given uh, a new spine, a backbone, if you will. I, I, I we can no longer say, at least not at the moment, uh, that the labor movement is on life support. You can't say that anymore. Uh, uh, Dr. King once said, famously, more than once, in fact, that uh, when you straighten your back up, you're going somewhere because a man can only ride your back when it's bent. It appears that labor is straightening up their back, uh, and they've had some huge successes over the last six months. Put a pin in that for now. Let me move to issue number two. Uh, Mike Johnson is new Speaker of the House. Um, I have not spoken to you, Paul, um, since he was elevated. Uh, he's been doing a number of interviews. And what's becoming more and more clear to people uh, was that, uh, in many respects, uh, this new Speaker was not vetted. That is to say that they had to get somebody in. I think Republicans were tired of the... Of, of the of the of the storyline, the narrative that had set in that they couldn't, you know, the gang who couldn't shoot straight, they couldn't get a speaker. And so they ended up settling on this guy to Louisiana, Mike Johnson. Uh, so he's the new speaker. And yet the more that comes out about this guy, the more people are asking whether or not he is too extreme politically. Your thoughts. OK, so with Mike Johnson, I think the reason that he is there is because he is definitely a nod towards the more radicalized of the Republicans. Now, this is a MAGA Republican. He is a very conservative Republican. And here's the thing that people need to pay attention to about his becoming speaker. The three things that define his legacy in terms of who he is as a person and who he has been as a representative, heretofore a little-known conservative representative from Louisiana, 
is that he is one of the big election deniers. Mm-hmm. That is going to be a problem as we are heading into election season with the Democrat and Republican Party. The other two things that stand out to me about his background that I think are concerns for the rest of the country are his stands and his vote, uh, specifically being an anti-abortionist. He wants abortions to be zero in the United States. And his very clear, specific, uh, and conservative approach that is anti-gay and LGBT in this country. The things that we are going to see in the next few weeks challenging him, I think, are going to come up with, because we have some big things on the horizon that he's going to play a key role in. That's the war with Ukraine in terms of how it gets funded, the ever-growing crisis that's happening right now with Israel and Palestine that he's going to play a role in, both in terms of funding and support from the United States. And then the third thing, and this one is important, I hope viewers are going to pay attention to what is happening on November 17th, because that's when we need important approaches and and consolidated votes for government shutdown. Mm -hmm. And Mike Johnson, in particular, just in October, voted down, uh, voted against supporting a package to prevent a government shutdown. And so it's coming up again. We know what he's done in the past. He is not the kind of leader that uh, I think we would look to in the country to be collaborative. And so what that means for the country, I believe, is going to be a problem that's not where this country exists. And it's certainly not going to be something that allows us to build to build in, in the future, I think, in a collaborative yeah. way. That's just not who he is. And that's what that role is designed to be. You must be collaborative. That's exactly why they couldn't find someone for so long. And there's controversy over who sits in that seat from the Republican Party. That's before we even get to how they can collaborate or not collaborate with Democrats. Next issue on the docket. Three of Donald Trump's family members are set to testify in their father's New York civil fraud trial. He is none too happy about this. Um, Your thoughts on what it means uh, that uh, prosecutors, uh, uh, Tish James, black woman, AG, New York State, has succeeded uh, in convincing this judge uh, that all three of these kids are testifying. Okay, so that part is brilliant. In terms of who testifies for the actual trial, I think is a red herring. Whether it's his children, it's going to be his whole fleet of lawyers. This is one of the tricks and one of the tools that Donald Trump typically uses in all of his cases where he has an army of lawyers and an army of interchangeable executives around him that may or may not include his children. Mm -hmm. There's been some controversy and discussion before about whether or not his daughter would testify, whether or not she actually had control. This, however, is part of a strategy for him to surround himself with decision makers and advisors, and when the heat gets turned up, those are the individuals that take the blame. Now, for this case in particular, it's three kids that are in the in the pipeline uh, that may or may not testify. I'm less concerned with what they actually testify about, because the end of the pipeline, the end of the analysis, is whether or not Trump is going to be able to maintain control over the corporation as it exists now. Mm -hmm. And the rulings that we have in this case have already told us that that is not going to be the case. There's already been a summary judgment on some of the issues separate from there not being a jury trial, because that's a whole nother conversation. Mm -hmm. But there's already been a decision made by the judge about the level of fraud being both persistent and pervasive in this case. And that fraud in and of itself has consequences. The real issue in this case right now is not so much if he did it, but how badly he did it 
and to what extent the mm-hmm. sentence and the repercussion from the rulings from the court are going to affect Donald Trump and his industry. And that's what's on the line. But that is a big deal for Donald Trump and is going to have some lasting effects in terms of how he operates as a business and yeah. an entity, which ties in specifically to how much he can access his wealth to the degree you define it as well for his run for presidency. Yeah. That's why all of this matters. It does matter. And yet I'm not naive. I'm not a corporate lawyer, but I, I know the word restructuring. <laughs> And so when all is yeah. said and done, uh, whatever he has to do to restructure, I'm sure he will do that. Uh, and let me, let's put a final point on this. This is, again, a civil trial. So for those who are thinking that he may end up going to jail, not in this case. Uh, there's no jail time here. It's a civil case, not a criminal case. So that will not be happening. And again, I come back to the issue of restructuring. When we come forward, um, there's some new information uh, about this uh, Robert R. Card II. This is the gunman who killed those 18 persons in Maine. Uh, there's some new information uh, about his mental health condition and more expressly that he made clear, he made clear before he walked into a gun shop, when he walked into a gun shop, that he had mental health issues. And yet he was allowed to purchase this equipment. We'll talk about that with Paul Henderson. When we come forward, you're listening to Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Sounds different, huh? This is Tavis Smiley. So, Paul uh, Henderson, uh, two things that have come to light now about this uh, killer in Maine, Robert R. Carr II. We now know, um, uh, as of yesterday, uh, that one gun shop owner declined to let him complete purchase of firearm sound suppressor. Uh, that's a yeah. silencer. He just called a silencer, a firearm sound suppressor. He wanted to purchase this. Uh, to muzzle the sound of his gunfire, uh, go figure. Um, and this particular gun shop owner declined to let him do it because on his form that he filled out, he disclosed that he had mental health issues. He literally disclosed yeah. this on the federal form. And this particular gun shop owner then refused to let him complete the purchase. He goes to another gun shop store not too far away. He's allowed to purchase the silencer and they, for some reason, end up delivering it to the first store. So he picks it up at the store that did not even purchase of it. Uh, There's an irony for you. But at one point in this process, at least one gun shop owner stopped this process three months before this shooting. This is three months before the shooting. um, He's denied this silencer by this one gun shop owner. And then we learned that weeks before this massacre, Cops were sent to his home uh, amid concern that he was going to snap and commit a mass shooting. So three months prior, we knew he had mental health issues. Uh, And then weeks prior, the cops are literally at his house. And yet three weeks later, almost 20 people are dead, more injured. And yet America will not admit that we have a gun problem or, frankly, that the system of getting access to guns in this problem is also screwed up. I digress. What say you, Paul Henderson? Now, you have raised all the big issues, but let's unpack them. Let me start with the mental health issues, Uh, because we know that folks that engage in activities like this are beyond just sociopaths. They are reflections of mental health, and it's not a surprise. It's almost predictable at this point in the game that we have so many of these mass shooters, and when it gets unpacked and when they do the investigation post an incident, all of the people around the individuals are saying that there are mental health issues. 
that they were they were in fact sociopaths. They did have challenges that people knew about and had tried to intervene with. And this is no difference. We also know just looking at statistics, you know, Tavis, I love statistics because mm. you don't get to argue with what the statistics say. Yeah. Uh, 30% of all of the folks that are engaged in these mass killings involving guns are also suicidal. And so we have to figure out what the approach is that we're going to take. And I think when you talk about the approach in response to what we already know, the facts about these mass shootings, what are we going to do? I believe that that approach should be coming from the national level and not be deferred to the state and local levels, which is what we're doing in this country. And that's why you see such a wide variety of laws, rules, and regulations that feels catch catch meal or catch as you can piecemeal approach about gun safety because we had in this case with Robert Carr we had these big flags that could have been flags and or restrictions depending on his jurisdiction these are tragedies that could have been avoided mm-hmm. but for the location of where they occurred and that's exactly the problem even when we have had approaches Uh, In the past, at a national level, you know, just this June, the Biden-Harris administration passed the Safer Communities Act. That was the $750 million for crisis intervention, for mental health courts and uh, veterans assistance courts. But that's the carrot, not the stick. Hold that thought for a second. That's the carrot, not the stick. We'll continue when we come forward. Our guest is Paul Henderson. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Got just a few minutes left for Paul Henderson to finish making his point. Paul, you were saying that that is the carrot, not the stick. What's the that? Well, the that in terms of trying to curb the violence. We have the encouragement, but we don't have the strong stick regulating what needs to happen. Hmm. The, the incidents that we're talking about specifically are like some of the green, yellow, and red flags that we've been talking about in the press, those green, yellow, and red flags are monikers to identify the level of restriction that states have in terms of their approach flagging mental health issues for people trying to buy guns. So a red flag is when the police or the member of the public can go to the court and restrict someone from having access to a gun or being able to purchase guns or even having the guns taken away. And in Maine, and this is important, that is in Maine, it's a yellow flag because on top of having, there are more restrictions to having law enforcement. So just like you said, even though they had been out to the house before and law enforcement had some concerns, the only way to block someone or restrict their gun access in Maine is on top of having one of those agents act as a, a an affirmative, take an affirmative act. They also need a note and an analysis from a medical professional on top of their own reasonable judgment. Mm. And that's what makes it a yellow flag. And that's what did not happen in Maine, which is part of the reasons why the standards are a little bit lower. Mm. One of the interesting things about Maine is, and again, here's some more stats, you know, the national average of gun ownership is about 32%, and it's 45% in Maine. A lot of that has to do with there being a lot of rural areas and hunting being a really popular activity out there. But that doesn't change safety. And you have to look at public safety because the priority is protecting our citizens. And this is before we get into an analysis about race and gun ownership as well. But we have to take a better approach and be proactive about how we want to protect ourselves 
against actions like this when we already know what the answers are. We have to have stronger gun control specifically to target people in need or that are in crisis to prevent them from having access to weapons. Definitely these uh, these, uh, weapons of mass destruction like the semi-automatic weapons. And that's what we've been talking about. Yeah. Let me close on this note. And this is a a pivot. uh, It's it's a parenthetical point, but I think one that is worth raising given that Paul just mentioned um, uh, the issue of uh, guns and race. Uh, I've said on this program before that the data tell us over the last few years that the fastest growing group of new gun owners in this country are black folk. And black folk have been going yeah. out and buying guns at an increasing, increasing and in, in some ways alarming rate because you see all the, all the pushback that we're getting. Um, you see uh, the, the white supremacy that's still raging in this country. And so black folk have said to themselves, let me arm myself to protect myself. Uh, just take a wild guess as to the group that we're told by gun owners, uh, gun shop owners, rather, uh, the group that's now buying guns at a faster clip than anybody else. Anybody want to take a wild guess? The Jewish community. You know, I want to know. The Jew- oh, wow. The, the Jewish community. Um, wow. Just yeah. reading just reading some data this morning that Jews, uh, our Jewish brothers and sisters are buying guns like nobody's business right now. Um, and so the same thing that motivated black folk to buy guns uh, are now motivating Jews to buy guns. And this country just continues to arm itself. I digress. I offer no commentary about that. Not at this moment. But that's some new data out today that black folk have been buying guns at a fast clip. And now our Jewish brothers and sisters are buying guns at a fast clip. That is the nation in which we live, sadly. I digress for now. Paul Henderson, brilliant as always. We'll do it again, my friend. All the best to you. Talk soon. So looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Thank you, sir. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward.